There seems to be a recurring issue here. Anger. I don't think I have an anger issue. I think you got an anger issue. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Angry Birds Retrospective Series. We're going to need a bigger slingshot. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Oh, it's on! Hosted by Arnie. I, uh have been known to uh, blow up. Justin. I see all and know all. And Stuart. Each of you has been selected because you're the best in your field that we can find. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Are you freaking kidding me? Listener discretion is advised. You tried to tell us, but we didn't listen. We hope you enjoy the show. And I'm just super psyched to be taking this journey with you. Ah, you're going to have a blast. Today we're discussing The Angry Birds Movie 2, starring Jason Sudeikis, Josh Gad, Leslie Jones, Bill Hader, Rachel Bloom, Aquafina, Sterling K. Brown, Eugenio Derbez, Danny McBride, and Peter Dinklage, directed by Thurop Van Orman. This is the now-playing co-host who's got resting bird face, Arnie, here with my frenemies. Yep, this is Stuart, but please call me Chuck, because I'm going to be zipping through this podcast in record speed. <laughs> <laughs> And this is Justin. If you can be Chuck, can I just be Terrence and sit here the whole time going, mm. You know, even Sean Penn didn't come back to be grumpy about that. They got a new actor. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like they got a nobody. They got Nolan North here. Crickets. <laughs> Nolan North? I mean, he's done Pretty Little Liars. Never seen it. <laughs> you always want me to be starstruck by everyone. Star Trek into darkness? This is my mailman. Have you seen him? He walks down, he puts these things every day in my mailbox. <laughs> Nolan North is an actor who I know from quite a few things. Obviously. I'm glad that you have something to look forward to. I think the bigger casting story is here is that they keep casting more and more SNL alumnus here. I mean, Pete Davidson's around now, and you got all these other guys. It's like, what is going on? Does somebody who works at SNL cast this movie? Yeah, I think it's just become par for the course. We hear that you're in a relationship, a kid's on the way. We need you to do Angry Birds. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Jones is a little old for childbearing, but okay. <laughs> But we should be excited, right? If we were dissatisfied with Angry Birds the movie, the original people that worked on that have moved on. Clay Curtis has made that jump that many animators do to live action. He made a Santa Claus film with Kurt Russell for Netflix last year. And so he's clearing the way for new blood, new talent to step in here. I'll agree with half of that. New blood. <laughs> <laughs> and I was pretty sure that 
Thurop Von Orman was just one of those fake stage names that you use when not wanting to attach your name to a project. <laughs> An Alan Smithy. I do think that is a made-up name, but you know, I always try to vet who are these people, why did they get this gig. He is known primarily for writing Adventure Time, if you know that animation series, or Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. You're right, because I did look him up, and I think that name does bring some cred to the Millennial crew. I mean, my son is a big fan of Adventure Time and Flapjack and all those other Cartoon Network things that were from about 15 years ago. I have nieces, and they have exposed me to things that would just never be on my radar. I am familiar with this kind of cartoon, and I think it's important just right up the bat to state how different this is from, like, a Pixar movie we might be reviewing. You know, Pixar, I feel like, is in the tradition of Walt Disney. That's why Disney bought them. They more or less tried to still tell the same kinds of fables and stories using new technology. But there is a different way to do animation, and I think this guy is a part of that. And I don't know if there is a term for it. I call it Dada mincing. The art movement Dada basically means you just do whatever you think, paint whatever you think, don't analyze, don't question, just do it. And that kind of random throw everything at the wall is a style of cartoon that I feel really promulgates with millennials in Cartoon Network and yeah, Adventure Time, if you've ever seen I can't even describe, like there's dogs and rainbows and unicorns. Like, to try and even tell what's going on screen is confounding. And that's the fun of it, that you've done something so outrageous, it literally can't be verbalized. Yeah, I mean, it's not just millennials. When I go to Comic-Con, Adventure Time is a big thing. I've seen a couple episodes of it. I found myself more drawn to regular show when a couple other of the Cartoon Network animation block that they did. But Adventure Time, yeah, I've seen a bit of it. It's kind of like Teen Titans with a little less plot. Yeah, I, that was the closest I think we've ever to being exposed to this kind of animation. I actually blame The Simpsons. We all watched The Simpsons, both old and young, and the Gen Xers got the jokes, right? Simpsons, like, they step out a character to do pop culture referencing all day long, and and we laugh because they make jokes about pop culture ephemera. That's funny. We know all that stuff, so it's funny to us. But younger people that don't know what they're talking about, again, that's just Dada mincing. That's just Homer suddenly being weird, and they don't know that he's doing a parody of The Shining. They don't know what's being referenced. They simply enjoy the outrageousness of it. And it has spawned SpongeBob and Adventure Time and this marvelous misadventures of Flapjack. I did watch a few episodes, and it's very much in that tradition. It has, I, again, <laughs> to try and give words to what the plot is, there's a kid at sea with a whale and other crazy things, always doing random absurdity. I think he nailed it. That's kind of this whole world. And you're right, it is, it's a post-Simpsons, it's a post- Family Guy type of world, where now they are aiming directly at that ridiculousness, but with a heart. So there is something there. It's not just pap that they're putting up on the screen here. And seeing this kind of gave me hope that going into this movie, like some of this is going to be now on the big screen in this Angry Birds film that we've already sat through the first volume of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're pushing Angry Birds in that direction. I think to talk about what they're going to do today, it would be wrong to say, well, this is not Toy Story 4. Not what they're going for. Maybe there is a little bit of heart. You know, we're confounded. This is an extra challenge because we can always tackle, well, what's the character arc? What's the plot? Where is this going? I don't feel like this is a movie that's much more than the sum of its various bits. 
I have to agree. There is an arc, there is a story, there is a lesson to be learned, but the storytelling here, if that's what you want to call it, does confound me, because when we get to the climax of the movie, I literally was like, but there was no buildup. It's like they just floored the gas at the opening credits and kept going as fast as they could the whole time, and there is a... I don't know if I'll call it subplot or an animated short that they just spliced into this movie for no reason. <laughs> Maybe to stretch it out to length. I mean, they're going to put another animation short that has nothing to do with Angry Birds ahead of it. There is a lot of padding here in this film to get it to its hour 40 minute runtime. I saw this on its opening Friday. Now it did open on a Tuesday. I went to a 4 p.m. 3D showing. It was me, three teenage Asian girls, and then like a 30-year-old mother with two toddlers. <laughs> I just ended up at a regular Thursday evening showing, and I begged my wife, my 14-year-old <laughs> daughter. Yeah. I did not want to be the one old dude sitting in this theater, because I figure that's going to get you on some list somewhere, right? Showing up <laughs> opening night for Angry Birds by yourself. But I was able to talk my son Tyler into going with me, so it was, was a little less weird. But yeah, a couple of grown dudes watching Angry Birds on a Thursday night. Yeah, well, that's like when I convinced two of my friends to go see Spice World with me, right? But I couldn't convince, cajole, or bribe anyone to go with me. I was like, you have fun with that. Yeah, I, I have a story to relate. Since we don't really want to talk about the movie, let me just tell a little personal embarrassing story of the only other time I remember feeling this way. When I was in my late 20s and had discovered travel, it was freeing. I'm like, oh, I don't have to spend the holidays with my annoying family. I was very dead set. Things had flared up in the family dynamics. I did not want to be there. I'm going to go on Christmas to New Orleans because that'll be fun. Travel tip, New Orleans is only for families at Christmas time. There is none of that debauchery going on. It has an entirely different flair. The wisdom of thinking I could come to this party city completely by myself and find my own fun. I was going around. I was seeing nothing but holiday decorations and families arm in arm and thinking, God, maybe Christmas dinner wouldn't have been <laughs> worse than this. And somebody gave me the tip that there was a big Christmas thing going on just outside of town. I'm like, great, that's fine. I'll just blend into a crowd. I hopped into a cab. They're like, you're sure? I'm like, yes, take me to this function. What it had ended up being was a six mile long drive. It was a drive through the Christmas trees. The taxi cab left me there and I proceeded to walk side by side with families and cars pointing at me past endless Christmas decorations. Looking like, yes, the child predator that everyone wanted arrested. Were you tossing beads at these kids? <laughs> there was no beats. There was nothing. And that is how I felt walking into this movie theater for Angry Birds 2. Like, I had nobody to come with, no explanation as to why. Holding a notepad and pencil, you know, like, there's no excuse I can give people to explain why on a Friday at one o'clock, I'm not at a job, I have nothing else to do other than to go and do this. It is humbling to put yourself in this environment, but it wasn't underpopulated. I feel like there were clusters of people. Some were clusters of adults. Many had children, but some were not. Some were grown 20-somethings, 30-somethings that were very effusive, loved this, laughed a lot. And so it was very helpful to have that laugh track to let me know how out of sync I was with the target audience. Yeah, I think that the toddlers in my audience definitely laughed hysterically. Also, they kept rapt attention. 
This movie was frenetic enough that they never got bored and they never started talking or crying or anything. They were engrossed and their laughter told me when I should be amused. And if I was judging by them, this would just be a green arrow right away. These kids seem to love it. I did go to this just because this is the time that worked for me. I went to the least populated theater in town, the one where Stuart could go and see Endgame opening weekend and be alone in the theater. Mm -hmm. And I went up to the concession stand. The place is so empty. They don't even have a ticket taker. They have a popcorn giver who also will give you a ticket. And I go there. He scans my phone and doesn't even look at what I'm seeing. And I'm like, I'm going to need 3D glasses. Mm. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, really? You're not here for 47 meters down on page? <laughs> you were. You so wanted to go in that shark movie. I'm actually seeing it today. But I was there. I went straight from work. So I'm in dress slacks, button down, tie, notepad, 3D glasses yeah. <laughs> alone in the movie. You know you're in trouble when you don't even recognize the previews. Like, there were things I had no idea. Did you know Will Smith is, like, doing the voice of some secret agent that gets turned into a bird? <laughs> I had no idea about that at all. And it's very similar to the a tr gag in this movie here, where they have a invisibility formula that hits somebody and can't turn them back. I mean, yeah, the trailers were mind-blowing. There's a fake Lego movie. There's something called Playmobil. <laughs> Playmobil. <laughs> what the hell is that? It's just like Lego movie, but not. <laughs> and John Cena is apparently getting Hulk Hogan's old scripts. Yes, I, I saw that. That's what I walked into, and I was like, wow. And it's nice to see John Leguizamo still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the funny family fireman movie that you know Hulk Hogan turned down 30 years ago, but has been lying around waiting for a wrestler to take. Yeah, Vin Diesel, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, they've all had this movie. It's John Cena's turn. Yeah, nothing. There was literally nothing that I wanted to see. I didn't want to see the feature, and I didn't want to see what else was coming. It was really, yes, it, it just let me know. The crowd enjoying it so much, me not laughing, alone, feeling weird. It made it difficult. I'll just go ahead and say, I think this was harder to sit through because I wasn't at home. Angry Birds, pause, go get a drink, take a break, bathroom, whatever you need to do. Having to be in that dark with that big old screen and 3D glasses, it really was oppressive. I really did not enjoy experiencing it in 3D in a movie theater. Okay, I'm not alone. I sat in the very back row because I didn't want to be the creepy guy in front of the teenage Asian girls or the family. So I'm in the very back row. Nobody five rows in front of me. About the midway point of this movie, I have my phone on airplane mode if I'm seeing a movie. That's how dedicated I am. I pull out the phone, turn off airplane mode, Google, how long is Angry Birds 2? <laughs> <laughs> Too long. And there's a short, I guess, should we cover Hair Love, which is a strange pairing with Angry Birds 2, because it is actually a very sweet and non-aggressive family message movie. Unlike Angry Birds, which has no agenda other than saying they want your kids to play Angry Birds game, this is really trying to get the word out there. There's a mainstream perception that's being fought, and I've read and, and heard people tell me a lot about how the perception of black fathers is really hard. 
there is this widespread belief that black fathers are not involved with their families, don't know their children, leave women single mothers. And so on YouTube, there are a lot of these beauty shorts where black men show how they can do their daughter's hair. And it really sends the message. They get high view counts and they are very sweet. They just let you know that in case you thought that families had to get married to care about one another, traditional family values can continue even in untraditional pairings and that black fathers care about their daughter. What a complete tonal shift from what we're about to sit through Angry Birds. This heartwarming little short in front of it. And, you know, I'm of two minds. I mean, I think it's great that they're putting it in front of this movie because it's probably going to have the widest audience that it can reach. Mm -hmm. But it's off message from the movie we're about to see. So it's, it's a little weird in that sense. Yeah, it's not funny. It's not aggressively manic. The whole idea of like an opening act is you want to get the crowd hopped up. Like this does not prepare you for the wild Dada mincing. Again, that's my word for it that we're going to get next. Yeah, I felt like this short telegraphed its ending way too much. I'm watching the beginning and it's this African-American girl doing her hair and watching it on YouTube with this overly emotive, anthropomorphized cat trying to tell her you're picking bad hairstyles and things. And it's a woman on YouTube, and I'm like, I didn't get that the YouTube woman was going to be her mother, but I'm like, her mom's dead. And then when the father comes in and tries to do it, I'm like, oh yeah, mom's dead. Yeah. So therefore, the emotional impact at the end was more curiosity of, oh, she's not dead, she's dying of cancer. I don't know if that's better or worse. I think it might have a lot more resonance with African-Americans who have that kind of hairstyling going on. For me, I regarded it completely neutral. It washed over me. I had no opinion about this opening short, negative or positive. Well, I mean, just outside of even, you know, any meta messaging in an African-American type of way, it's a nice heartwarming family story. I mean, it's a dad and a daughter. Like you said, it telegraphed that the mom was no longer in the picture and having her be a cancer patient at the time is a little bit of emotional hostage taking, but it's a short, so I'm going to go with it. But I think it's a message that just can resound with any family. It's like, take time to do things as a family while you have time to do them. Since you're the only one of us who is a father, it may have hit you more. Sure. As I don't have children, and my parents didn't spend time with me. That's why I watched so many movies as a child. <laughs> I didn't get hit by this. The only thing I can critique about it is the animation, which I felt looked like a Flash animated television episode. Having seen the shorts before the Pixar movies we've done and before the Disney movies we've done, I didn't feel this had a cinematic look to it. It at best was a less interesting Spider-Verse kind of flatness. Yeah, if you notice, it was kickstartered. You know, Sony Pictures isn't the machine that Disney is, where Disney animators are working on the short at the same time they're putting that feature together and hoping to win the short form animation at the same time that they're winning the animation trophy come Oscar season. This just felt like, yeah, the right people saw the short and Sony said, hey, this will help lengthen the film that we have that's not quite long enough for theatrical and so yes yeah it was a really successful kickstarter they only asked for seventy five thousand, raised over three hundred thousand to do it then they shopped it around and sony picked it up yeah there was some corporate synergy going on there too i caught a real quick glimpse of the dove soap logo in those credits as well too so there was something going on there as well 
It isn't funny in the way that you might expect it to be with all the hair shenanigans, but I do agree it's got heart, and certainly the politics of black hair, if you want to know more about that, I had my eyes really opened by the Chris Rock documentary, Good Hair, that really will let you know kind of all the subjects that's going on here. Anyway, we've tried to avoid it. Arnie, why don't we talk about what we've come here to talk about? Give us the plot of Angry Birds Movie 2. As credits roll. (laughs) What, you want more? (laughs) I I, I don't want more. No. It's a juicy plot. (laughs) We pick up sometime after Angry Birds 1, and Jason Sudeikis' cartoon bird Red is the hero of Bird Island having led the fight against the pigs. But the pigs, led by King Leonard, voiced by Bill Hader, continue to attack the birds. But the pigs no longer want to eat bird eggs, it seems, but just pull pranks, like hit Bird Island with boxes of crabs. Red and his friends, Bomb and Chuck, lead the resistance by pulling reverse pranks, like slingshotting water and hot sauce at the pigs. When the pigs get attacked from the other side, though, hit with a giant ice ball, Leonard realizes there's a third island and it's attacking. He proposes a truce with the birds, which Red reluctantly accepts after realizing there is a threat. The attacker is a purple eagle named Zeta, voiced by Leslie Jones. She is tired of living on her frozen island and decided to attack the birds and pigs so they flee their homes and she can live in their tropical islands. Red, Bomb, Chuck, and Leonard recruit Chuck's super smart sister, Silver, voiced by Rachel Bloom, to join the crew, as well as pig scientist Gary, voiced by Sterling K. Brown, and pig girl Courtney, voiced by Aquafina. They also bring along the Mighty Eagle, voiced by Peter Dinklage, but Mighty Eagle confesses part of the reason Zeta is so mad is they used to be engaged. Mighty Eagle left her at the altar, and so he runs and hides rather than face his ex. The others go onto the island and sneak into Zeta's base. Madness and dancing ensues, but Red leaves the group. He needs to stay the beloved hero of Bird Island, so he goes off on his own to try and stop Zeta. He fails, and it's only through teamwork that they're able to stop Zeta from firing volcanic lava balls at their island. Mighty Eagle shows up and professes her love for Zeta, which ends hostilities especially when Zeta introduces Mighty Eagle to his daughter Debbie, voiced by Tiffany Haddish. Yes, this is two Tiffany Haddish movies in two weeks for now playing. And pigs, birds, and eagles come together for the wedding of Zeta and Mighty Eagle. There, Red is proclaimed a hero again, but he doesn't take credit, instead giving all the credit to his teammates, even if Leonard did nothing and it seems Courtney did very little, other than carry the luggage. (laughs) The birds love Red even more for his humility as, wait, no, the entire movie had a poorly inserted subplot. (laughs) Three hatchlings were playing pigs and birds and lost Terrence and Matilda's unhatched eggs. They go through adventures to retrieve the eggs, including fighting a snake. The eggs are returned home and they hatch to reveal snakes. The eggs were switched and the angry, beaten up snake comes to their home. A hostage trade switches baby snakes for new hatchlings, and they are returned to their home as credits finally roll, and I burst out of that theater like Kramer going into Seinfeld because to stay awake, I drank the 44-ounce diet lemonade, and man, I couldn't get to the men's room fast enough after this. If there was a post credit scene, I was taking a piss. Yeah, it's funny you talking about staying awake, because yeah, it was one o'clock in the afternoon, and I was totally nodding off by like the climax. I was like, got to stay awake. I am not sitting through this movie again. When I used to teach, I had an ex-military student who taught me standing 
thing is a great way if you start to nod off. And since I was in the back row anyway, for the last half hour of this movie, I stood in back. So if that was even creepier, the guy in the shirt and tie taking notes standing in the back of the theater. <laughs> Never know when you got to bail real quick. Arnie, I think you nailed it early on with talking about this B plot with the hatchlings. That very much felt like that was just made to be a short that they felt like, oh, you know what? If we just interweave this into the movie and put a little bit at the end, this could be part of the actual film and we can get this to an hour and 30 minute running time. Yeah, and I think hatchlings are very cute and are a different demographic to market to. Like, if you want to hook them, as soon as a baby opens its eyes and looks at a screen, that's the first thing you want them to see. It really is something to engage the very youngest in this audience. This plot is probably a little bit more complicated than something a three- or four-year-old could enjoy. But the hatchlings will keep them there. I think that even the simplest of children could follow this plot because there really isn't one. It's very strange to me how this movie eschews the predecessor and eschews its own source material. Never in any game have Bird and Pig teamed up. It's always this fight to the death. You're out to kill the pigs as the birds are in Angry Pigs, you kill the birds. Here, I just knew we were in a different movie when we start with a prank war. I'm like, it's like two frats. It was literally like an outtake from Animal House, not anything like what we saw before where Leonard was about to cook the babies of all the birds. Yeah, and that's fine. That movie was bad. And I don't, (laughs) they don't need to honor what was done before and keep any kind of tether to that. What they need to do, and they do, is explain why Red would still be angry. Because the movie gave him a happy ending last time. He was a pariah who then was proclaimed a hero. The reason why he is still grumpy, maybe he's not angry, but he's at least grumpy at the start of this movie, is that his whole ego is based on the idea that I only have friends because I protect them. He will patrol these beaches and stop the assaults that are coming in via Pig Island, and that makes him feel appreciated. If that were to go away, as is introduced by the inciting incident, the pigs start sending over truces. They'd want to stop this war. He doesn't want to stop this war. He wants to be angry. He wants to fight back. If he can't be seen as a defender, I think he fears of going back and being that loner that no one liked to play with. And he is still if not Angry Bird, stick up his butt bird, because he doesn't seem to still like anyone. He likes their adulation, but they frustrate him on sight. He is beyond introverted to the point of antisocial, but yet narcissistic. And while Stuart's in the theater looking for a string to figure out if these birds are still angry and why they're angry. I'm looking for a string that connects it back to the game that I know. And right away, it's apparent that we're not going to get any of that original game stuff. There's elements, but not once does a building get broken down by a bird being flung by a slingshot. Slingshots are now transportation. They just use them to fly across the island. But not throughout this entire movie is a structure destroyed by flinging a bird at a building. I did like the opening where it's like the school bus and things and they're just floating because they were all slingshotted together. There's some gags in there I enjoy. There's tons of gags and you'll probably like a couple. I can't imagine you'd sit through the whole movie and never think anything wasn't clever. I mean, the fact that the Apple store is a red Apple store. I mean, there's stuff that's worthy of a Simpsons episode or a smirk. I gave them a smirk. I'm not going to be cranky. And they recap the events of the first movie where 
It shows Red's flashback, and I thought for sure Stuart's big complaint about the last movie, where we saw that Red was an orphan bird, and he had no parents. Well, we get this brief, everything in this movie is brief, we get this like 30 second flashback to Eric Carmen's All By Myself, as we see Red as a child with no one to play with, no parents. I'm like, ah, this is the movie that's going to pick up on that thread. We're going to find out about Red's parents. I could not be more wrong. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll tease that, but I don't think they care. I think they told me they don't care, and I'm trying not to care either. I'm trying to care that they can't fly and need trampolines and slingshots. I'm trying to go with this movie because I was so angry the last time and confused. And here, I think it's a little bit cleaner. And what they're telling us is that, yeah, he doesn't want to go back to that life. The reason why they bring it up is to remind you that his status as a hero is very, very tenuous. At any moment, this truce being a real threat to his security as a defender of them, he says that. Don't stop. But it's a false modesty. It's a humble brag. He's really saying, don't stop. Always keep praising me. Always keep telling me I'm great. And so he's going to learn some humility in this lesson, I guess, if there's a lesson here. Yeah, I definitely think that is a lesson. And I think that can go to adults as well as children. The lesson here of... Don't try to take sole credit. Be sure to give credit to those who help you is a lesson that I try to utilize in life and that a lot of people I work with at the office could tend to learn. <laughs> you know, it's funny with how threadbare the plot is going to be here. At the beginning of this movie, like I told you, I took Tyler with me and he hadn't seen the first one yet. We're watching this opening and I was about to lean over to him and be like, the one thing you might need to know here to make anything make sense here is that they hated Red in the first movie. Hey, but they just come out and spell that out. Like they literally have a character say, hey, remember how we used to hate you? I'm like, okay, so this, this movie <laughs> is not concerned with what happened in the last movie, whether you saw it as an adult or just happened to be passing through the room as your six-year-old watched it a hundred times. This movie is just going to launch us off in its own direction and forget most anything we learned about these people from the last film. Yeah, Chuck and Bomb, they recognize that they're friends, and they are friends, but he, he needs some lightening up, and so they introduce this subplot about let's go speed dating, and this is how we bring in the other co-lead, really, the person that is going to share the mantle of being the hero, Silver. It's the kid's sister of Chuck, even though she's a falcon and he's a canary. I don't know how sex works on this island. Again, they're all mutants and can't fly, and it's gross, but I'm trying to get over that. <laughs> and she, of course, is just, in her own way, just as tightly wound as Red. Everything has to follow a formula, and questioning all of the speed dating, she needs to know all of this detail, and she finds an exact percentage of how compatible she is with Red. It's 23%. And I think she will learn... Maybe, maybe less, but I feel like it's for her to also realize that you have to go on a whim every now and then. Although she is kind of the Mary Sue in this. She will actually solve all <laughs> of the problems. Yeah, yeah, she does. But I do think at the very end, she doesn't have a plan. She has to improvise. And so that is her lesson. And I didn't realize this was going to be a romance. I kind of thought the speed dating was just going to be a joke. I didn't know where it was necessarily going. I did like Bomb in this, where he's, he's at speed dating. I like to eat dirt, and he's like spitting it out on the table. There's gags here I'm liking, but I never thought anybody from this scene would come back. I mean, it's a way to introduce Silver and set up an antagonism between our 
two heroes in this one so that when they're forced to work together, we're going to see, oh, these guys are totally incompatible. We even are told for, uh, it's put on the screen. 23% compatibility. I mean, Lethal Weapon didn't need to give me a percentage, but I'd say it was probably around there. <laughs> but you hit it on the head there. The reason that they have the scene here is to set up an antagonism between two people that are now going to have to work together. And I'm not going to sit here and try to find plot holes to poke into a movie like Angry Birds. But it's really confusing why they would write it this way and animate it this way, because the very next scene after the speed dating that ended with Red yelling at Silver in a very public way and then storming off is followed up by them going to the school where they introduce us to Silver as the sister of Chuck. And Chuck makes a big deal. He's like, you guys know each other? It's like, Chuck, you were just standing there last night as they were yelling at each other in the public place that you took your friend Red to. Yeah, but to be clear, I think Chuck wanted his friend Red to meet a girl. I don't think he wanted him to meet his sister. I don't think that wanted to happen. We'll see throughout the story. He's always trying to actually break them up. When he thinks that they are actually getting romantically involved, he is going to make threats. Right. I'm not saying he was setting them up. I'm saying the fact that he didn't realize that Red and Silver were talking to each other at that event last night. It was in front of everybody. Everybody stand there watching. Yeah, I actually feel like they reintroduce everyone twice. It would actually be much cleaner if the first thing we see is Red alone. He works alone, nobody else around, doing all of this defending, and then he has to deal with Leonard, who comes in about the 15, 20-minute mark. The green pig wants to have this truce because they have a common enemy. There is someone firing cannonballs of ice at them, and they don't know exactly who that is yet, but Red has seen them, he has seen them, and they need to form a team. Then they go back and reintroduce all of his friends. Like, for some reason, Bomb is in jail. They have to bust him out as the explosive expert. He's grounded. He's like, Mom, I'm an adult. It's his mom who's put him in there. Yeah, but I'm saying it would work better. The joke would play louder if this were the first time we were seeing Bomb. Yes, I agree. And... They have improved the animation since the last one. I have to say the best beneficiary of the improved animation is the pigs. I find Leonard to be completely cute now as the pig. And when they send over all those pig-faced green balloons asking for a truce, I thought it was a good visual. And the 3D in this, if you see it, see it in 3D. I got a lot more out of it. I would say wait and watch it at home with your children if you have them. Or if you don't, don't even watch it. That's what I would say. <laughs> I did not find the theatrical experience at all helpful in this. And I did see it in 3D and whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I can't say if there was a marked improvement in the animation style just because first time seeing it on the big screen as opposed to at home from last time. But I mean, it looked just as good as the original movie. Right. So let's talk about this villain. Who is the threat that is worse than a bird versus pig battle? It is a bird. What's kind of confusing is it's an island of just eagles. And we already know that one eagle lives on Bird Island. So already it's unclean to understand how Zeta ended up in the Arctic island of Eagle Island. It would make more sense if this was an island of penguins or some sort of cold weather birds. Right. Great. We should, again, they should call us. Not that we want to write this, <laughs> but I feel like there's sometimes they don't ask questions that can be easily answered if you take five seconds. I didn't get why eagles would live in a frozen place. Living in an area where eagles roam, I know that they like it mostly in temperate climates. They like it in spring. They like it in fall. That's when we spot them most. And so I was confused why they'd be in the tundra 
Yet, I felt like maybe they were trying to explain why there was one eagle on Bird Island as he was an outcast. The closest I can come to that, Arnie, and I thought about this a lot, not a whole lot, but a little, <laughs> uh, as I was daydreaming in my seat, was she is cold. This is a woman that was jilted. We're going to get a whole backstory where we realize that she was in love and then was left at the birdcage altar. And I think that on some level, maybe her cold heart led to this becoming an Arctic pl- I feel like they were at least dancing towards that as an explanation. The environment reflects her own temperament and her desire to be happy is the reason why she now is bombing the tropical islands and wanting to take them over. I did have to wonder if this was always a frozen island or if there was some climate change going on because I'm overthinking this movie. I'm going to admit it right now. Listeners screaming at your AirPods. I know I'm overthinking when I'm like, well, if only ice comes out of the shower, why do they have a shower? (laughs) What is the point of that? And how do they get clean if they only have ice? Why don't they take it indoors and like let it melt and then bathe? This is the thoughts I'm having. Well, the thing that's driving me nuts now is up until this point through both movies, every bird and every character we see, with the exception of green pigs, but that was established by the game, is just a cartoonist version of a real world bird to some degree. But now we're getting this Muppety looking purple eagle. That doesn't look like an eagle to me. No, it it looked very specifically like from Jim Henson's workshop. If you remember Labyrinth, there were these red creatures that caught fire and had detachable heads. They were called the Fireys. Yes. This feels like a purple version of that. Why not just have something that isn't a bird or a pig? If it's a third island, it's a third species. Since there's all kinds of weird mating going on here anyway, I can believe that Mighty Eagle got it on with a different species. Maybe it is a seal. We're going to have a whole seal and chihuahua subplot here. (laughs) Let's not think about the mechanics of the sex and just go with that. The introduction, Margaritaville, the irony of them trying to treat it like a tropical paradise. I'll say right now, the soundtrack was my playlist in 1996. Margaritaville (laughs) and everything else. The music here... I'd buy this soundtrack to have a flashback to. It's not a musical. Last time you could make the case there was a dance scene where they had an original song and we're going to stop everything so that we can watch choreographed movement. And here it does feel like more like I'm fitfully going through my MP3 player. I'm just going to like, no, I don't want to listen to Eye of the Tiger. No, I don't want to listen to Baby Shark. No, I don't want to listen to All By Myself. (laughs) And there is an original Kesha song that was released for this. At the end. But it's been released as a single and a promotional. But it is not integrated into the story so that they can make it feel like a musical sequence as so many times animated films want to do. The way you get that Oscar is you put it in an animated movie at a pivotal heart-tugging moment. You be on that magic carpet ride. You look out over the African tundra. You have those moments where the movie is most emotionally impactful and then you play the song And these people aren't interested in writing a musical. They are interested in throwing in some songs at the end to hopefully sell more product. And a lot of their gags are puns. And going way back to our Howard the Duck review, you guys know I'm a sucker for some of these jokes. Leonard and Red are making peace and Leonard calls on Squeal Team 6. I think it's slightly in bad taste. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, many, many of them end up dying in another 
raid after the Bin Laden thing. But yes, it's <laughs> it's it's still a funny visual joke. It's one of the times in this movie that I actually did kind of like laugh at what's going on. Was anybody else inside of Red's apartment getting like a Three's Company vibe? The decor? I don't know if it's just me, but like there's a few times in this movie where I almost felt like Larry, the upstairs neighbor, is going to pop in. I didn't notice. There's a lot of referencing. And again, I'm not always convinced that they're referencing with intent. I just think that maybe they're copying things because it feels familiar and it works for their bit. And it's not really because they have anything sharp to say about Three's Company. Well, that's kind of what I left it at for the most part. But then later on, there is a Regal Eagle reference where they're at a bar. Yes! I thought about that. I was like, is that supposed to be the Regal Beagle? Sure. I mean, you guys are onto something, but what does that all mean? I won't connect those lines with super string. Nope. Da, da, da. That's exactly what this whole movie is going to be, is just references because somebody said, hey, wouldn't that be a cool idea as they were writing this movie over the course of two days? And again, we pointed out all these people are Saturday Night Live performers. What do you do on Saturday Night Live? You come up with a bunch of different skits off on your own, and then it all comes together at the end. I imagine that's a lot of how all these ideas came together. There is a credited writer, but don't tell me these voice actors didn't have some influence on what their characters said and did. I mean, I think it would be natural. Otherwise, why would you get so many Saturday Night Live people? And so what does this ultimately form into? Well, it's kind of an Ocean's Eleven movie. It kind of is a heist story. We're going to assemble the perfect team to head over to Eagle Island and Red feels like he's going to be the one in charge. Again, his whole ego, his identity is that he is the lone savior of Bird Island, but he's got a very undefined plan about how to take down a device that is shooting ice right now, but is being recalibrated to shoot lava balls in the climax, which I presume is from some game. Not that I played. There's a lot of games that I tried to play them all, but I didn't get to all of them. I've never seen a lava ball, an ice ball, or a purple eagle. Okay, so they've never done that in any game you guys have played. I feel like it could, and I feel like that might even work. Like, you can't tell me that Leonard isn't having some kind of fun in the beginning firing on Bird Island. It feels like a sibling rivalry more than we're going to catch you and eat you, as Arnie pointed out. It really is more like, well, this is our form of entertainment to fire hot sauce back and forth. And so they already are kind of friends. They just needed this as an excuse to come on over and build this pig bird team, which is going to include Silver. We've already had her set up in the speed dating. She's coming back because she is the inventor of some super strong string and other product. And her issue is that she has all the right answers, but she's not very captivating. Nobody wants to listen to her. They're all sleeping through her lectures. And that's also happening here on this team. Red is the more dynamic one and is stealing her spot. And I do appreciate them kind of bringing a little bit of that original gameplay, at least the mechanics of it, into this character. She's constantly doing things in her mind that they end up doing an overlay on screen where she's trying to figure out the physics behind things and how many seconds it's going to take and how far something's going to fall. Great. That is a new character that is tying back to where this game came from, which is a 2D touchscreen physics game. That's an excellent point, because I think you can have two different mentalities about playing that game. You either do it on instinct, like Red, or it's really calculated, like, I need to do this in one move. You, you said you can figure out the way to do it in one, you know, two moves, and that gets you more points. That is the silver method. And so that would be smart. Again, if they were setting up a lot of Rube Goldbergs in the second act, that might have a little bit more impact. But what they do instead is pile into a yellow submarine and sing opera, because why not? <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's some 
decent jokes going on here. I hear what you're saying. Again, I think there are stuff here that works, and yet I don't feel like citing this is good comedy. Overall, I don't feel like this is as clever as I'd want it to be, or... Again, I'm probably bumping up against the fact that the structure is so messy. We're cleaning up things by making it sound like a logical flow. But in sitting in that theater with the 3D glasses, it's more assaultive. It really is a barrage of just jokes flying at you. Kind of like birds knocking down structures. That's how these jokes come at you. And yeah, it may or may not be funny. One joke that I, I'm hearing a lot lately, we had it in Captain Marvel, the 90s. Remember the 90s? Uh, flockbuster video. We will get a whole story where Mighty Eagle, also known as Ethan, Peter Dinklage, is going to reveal that he knows our villain, that he had a history with her back in the 90s, and we have a lot of gags about his changing hairstyles and bungee jumping, and again, I think the only reference people have for the 90s is it was the era of blockbuster video, but they throw everything they can in there at that moment to try and establish why he ran away and why she might be wanting to attack them. Yeah, they're also flannel, and I thought people still bungee jumped. Am I out of touch? Eh, I think they still do, but that's when it was a thing. Like, you could go to your state fair and bungee jump off a crane in the in the 90s. Now it's more of a, you know, certain places in California have bridges that you can jump off of. Yeah, the moment seems to have passed. It was more upsetting to me that what you're talking about, Stuart, is yes, they were trying to establish they had a relationship in the 90s, but I don't know anybody in the 90s that jumped from genre to genre to genre, from fad to fad to fad like that. Like, they were hard rockers, they were grungers, they were wearing, like, the DKNY pants at one point. It's like, uh, so are you just making it so... Eagle, somebody I wouldn't want to hang out with back then? Is that the message? Or are you trying to just draw references in, like, shorthand and make a joke out of it? I'm going with the latter because that's how they've been doing everything here. It's just anything you can think of about the 90s, do it. Dada, hit. Go. That's enough. It doesn't have to form a cohesive character. We don't have to better understand. That is always the difference. Like, if you look at what Pixar would do, I don't think they would tell a joke that would betray the way we thought of a character. And here, they'll do anything for a laugh. Even if it doesn't make sense. Is there a difference between ADHD and Dada? One is an art movement, and one is considered a problem to be corrected, so I guess we think of them differently, but... Okay, I'll call this movie ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) And since we're talking about being all over the map, uh, let's just go ahead and talk about that second movie that is happening in here. While they are heading off to sea, there are also three little hatchlings, adorable, they gotta admit that, that are trying to repair their playtime mistake. And what we saw early in the movie was that these three hatchlings were basically doing the first movie. They were putting on pig and red masks and trying to restage the egg heist. And playing with rocks just wasn't good enough. They had to use real eggs. They borrowed them from Terrence and Matilda. And now they washed away with the tide. It's going to send them off for what feels like those animated shorts I talked about with the Angry Birds series. This kind of stuff that feels much more physical comedy based and his physics don't apply. Old Tex Avery, Looney Tune style. Oh, we'll just float up to the moon and beyond. Yeah, and if you take all those scenes that are interspersed throughout the movie and take out the part at the very end where they have a part to play in the helping the main cast complete their task, that just plays as a 10-minute short movie. 
where these kids are constantly chasing down these eggs and finding ways to overcome the obstacles in their way. Can I say, I think it's probably a better movie. Like, I think I would appreciate that short at the front of an Angry Birds movie more than I appreciate the Angry Birds movie we're given. Yeah, I'll agree, because this one goes to weird places. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it literally goes to space. The pink hatchling, I didn't think they have names, right? They're just the hatchlings. Zoe is the only one that I caught. She is the one that's actually the daughter, the one that has hatched. Her sisters are the eggs. So Zoe, she's the pink one. Yes. She's actually in the recent game I played of Angry Birds. I noticed there was a new bird type that you've, fling and then you tap and it inflates like a balloon and it will float and then when it touches a sharp edge it will pop and spin around and we had that in this movie i'm like oh that's something actually from the game but i'll agree their gag with the snake is actually my number one favorite moment of this when they get the eggs off the cloud and they land and the eggs fling and they see him sitting on top of a snake And I know snakes eat birds and everything else. And how are they going to get these off the snake? And then we just cut away. We hear sounds. They come out wearing snakeskin boots, snakeskin belts. And one just goes, that got dark fast. (laughs) (laughs) But later we find out the snake is still alive and just beaten up. Does that mean that they just raided the snake's wardrobe and took their hat and boots and belt? Well, you know, snakes do shed their skin, so that's why we have to take. But I agree. They walk back. Anytime you think they might have gone too far, they do kind of walk it back. One moment I had about kind of feeling too far is early on when the ice pelts are coming over, they totally destroy Eagle Mountain. And like for like half a second, you can't not think about like 9-11. Like there's all these birds staring up and this horror and they're just kind of presenting terrorist attacks as part of growing up and coming of age. I'm like, wow, this is really, really, really dark. But then like... Like, cut away and we'll do something funny and you won't be asked to think about any serious element that's being raised by that. And this is just another example of, did those hatchlings just kill a snake? No, they did not. Nothing bad ever happens here. It's all funny. But I did think until the end that they did kill and skin the snake turned it into clothes, and got their eggs back. It's that kind of humor I appreciate when I do watch Teen Titans, like when Robin pushed Batman into the alleyway so his parents would be killed. Like, that kind of stuff I appreciate here. But yeah, unlike Teen Titans, they kind of pull back from it. And all in all, it was about midway through the movie that I realized the normal narrative structure that we critique does not apply to this movie. They didn't try to do it, so therefore I can't say it's a bad thing. And so initially when I was frustrated, why are we cutting to these weird talking hatchlings? Because, oh, quap. You know, I mean, just the Elmer Fudd kind of talk. I've never met a human child to talk like that, but... By the end, I'm like, all right, we're just doing whatever here. I think children definitely grow into their voice. I think speech impediments and not quite getting the language right is a common funny in growing up in households. I I mean, I feel like that joke worked and I think they're pretty sweet. I don't mind whenever we're there. Do you like the scatteredness? As someone that didn't grow up with that comedy, but recognizes younger people are very familiar with it. I like personally can't get through SpongeBob. I can't enjoy those things. Like I'd find them too distracting, too not enough there there to hold my interest really. Although I can be impressed with the character design or a joke or bit here and there, I really find it difficult to even watch five minutes of it. 
I think the problem Angry Birds is having is it is trying to have a foot in both camps. Like if it's just going to be scattered entertainment and you don't want to think about it too much, it's doing that. But at the same time, it is trying to keep a foot in like this realistic, let's move a plot forward, let's solve a problem, let's grow as characters. And neither one of them are working in tangent with one another. And I think that's what leaves you feeling like, what the hell am I watching throughout the entire movie? And I like this type of humor on television because most of those are 15 minutes. If you watch Cartoon Network, either they have a 15-minute show and they just have another 15-minute show after it, or they'll show it in a half-hour block, but it's two episodes, kind of like the old Tweety Bird stuff I used to watch. They'd have multiple shorts in a short time, and there's a commercial break in between. I'm not asked to pay close attention. It's like an overdose on that for me here. Yeah, you don't hire the flapjack guy if you don't want this to be this way. And I don't want to be so stiff in my thinking that it, that I think, well, only animated films can work if they're like Pixar and hit the themes and, and pull my emotions. But I think you're right. They are still trying to do that. Barely. I would say they're much more successful with the SpongeBob Dada spazzing than they are with tugging heartstrings. But I do think you're right. Every now and then, we are asked to pay a little bit of attention to storylines, to characters. You're right. They either go need to go in more more in one direction or the other to get the most out of what they have here. Again, some of the gags are rather amusing. The bird suit that most of them wear, red and silver won't, but the others, Chuck and Bomb and Leonard, all get in this bird suit to try to break into Zeta's base and they go up to the guards and the guards like, "I know what's going on here." And the other guard is like, "Bunch of enemies in a bird suit." You're the new guy! Open up the door for the new guy! It just... That stuff is unexpected. It is out-of-left-field humor where the punchline is ironic all the time. It's the opposite of where you expect it to go. Much like when that same bird suit is in the bathroom. This was a trailer scene. You could actually see... I think I saw it before Toy Story 4. I saw the entire bathroom scene here where they're like, pretend to pee-pee, and Chuck starts doing the sprinkler thing that... <laughs> You know what would help? Again, if we wanted tighter, character-driven, all of that, they introduced this character, Gary. Sterling K. Brown is the voice as the one that's creating all of these gadgets. Like, not only does he invent the bird suit, but there's, like, an Invisa spray that never wears off and a Frisbee that screams, there's an eagle nearby and never shuts up. And, <laughs> and that's all fun. It might have been fun since we established her as an engineer and an inventor that that was all done by Silver. Now we see that she still has a lot of work to do. She's smart and all of that, but she's not such a Mary Sue. She's not everything she does is the right answer and no one is listening to her. It would be a little bit more fun, I think, if we saw her struggle. Yeah, good point. And I feel like you're right. They couldn't figure out a way to get that to happen on the submarine. So they needed more time on the submarine with some visual gags. So let's create a new character as their own type of cue who's... Only going to be there to deliver the gags, but then really nothing else once. But he continues on with them on the adventure, which is one person too many again. I think the thing is they include him because he's a pig. And truthfully, there's no reason to pair up with the pigs. The birds could just go over there and solve this on their own. Leonard later will just say, yeah, I saved everyone because I had the sub. That is his contribution. I had the sub that got them over there. And then this Gary is the one that invented the bird suit. But by and large, the pigs aren't needed. And I do feel like with an angry birds movie, birds are where we should think. So they should, again, I 
like a lot of this, they should have either done a lot more work on the pigs, or you just cut the pigs out this time and they're fighting a different enemy. But the pigs are as important as the birds in that game. I mean, that's like trying to separate... Imagine a Pac-Man movie with no ghosts. You're like, the movie's called Pac-Man. We need to focus less on the ghosts. I mean, it is that intertwined. But I agree with you. I'm disappointed with how little the pigs have to do here, especially when you get Aquafina to voice one of them. What, she spent five minutes on a cell phone to record her lines here? Yeah, she's definitely an up-and-comer. I've seen her in a few things now. Crazy Rich Asians and The Farewell. She's really good. And I, yeah, they just don't utilize her. I think Bill Hader's good, but there's just a couple bits with him taking selfies. I, like, ultimately, what they're handed to do is so much smaller than what the birds get to do in this movie. It makes me feel like you should cut the pigs, but I think you're right. You don't cut the pigs because you can't. You can't not have pigs in an Angry Birds universe. I think Bill Hader's actually better here. He's better when he's not trying to be evil. When he's just like, I'm wearing spandex and dancing around, I think that plays more to Bill Hader's craziness. You know, he just is a off-the-wall comedian on Saturday Night Live, and I found him funnier here than I did last time. Yeah, I say I don't know him very well. I've seen a couple episodes of Barry, and I saw him in a drama, actually, Skeleton Twins. I've, I don't know his style of comedy, but I do feel like he is as good as anybody else. He's as good as Sudeikis is, and I feel like he would be able to handle more if he gave him more. And I'm glad Sudeikis and Hater got time together, because they were they were friends, I'm guessing. Because Saturday Night Live, you always form clicks in that. If you've ever read the behind the scenes of Saturday Night Live, it's really cutthroat, and you make a couple good friends, and you're all always working with them, even until Grown Ups 2. <laughs> so I think Sudeikis and Hater were friends. They did a lot of sketches together and played off each other real well. And I think they play off each other well here. They didn't get much interaction last time. That dynamic is what originally gave me a little hope going into the first movie. It's like, oh yeah, Hater and Sudeikis together, they are buds on and off screen. Maybe they're going to bring some of that chemistry into this movie made for kids. And I got to say, it's better this time, but it's still nothing like even just watching outtakes from some other project they might have been in. Like, it's not like they sat down in a room and were able to riff and then they wrote around that. They very much are just reading their lines here. Yeah. How much passion is anyone going to bring to a project like this? You have to feel like it's a favor for your children or a paycheck. It's just not where you're going to pour all your creative energy. So they're getting through it. They're doing it. My disappointment is that I do like heist movies. This teased the idea that we're going to get a more intricate plot. We know it's silly because Red's plot is so thin. Silver is calling that out. But you get the sense that with everyone having their special skills, they're going to be able to be that Ocean's 8, Ocean's 11 and team to get into the secret layer and stop the lava balls from being fired. I end up feeling like that comes really late and half-assed and it just doesn't take enough spirit from the heist movies I love to feel like a very good kiddie version of that. Yeah, when they're on the submarine and they're introduced to the Professor Pig, I thought, all right, We've had this careening going on, but now we're going to get the story to kick in. We've got them all together. Do I like how they came together? No, it was way too fast, way too convenient, but they're all together. And we got Q here. I thought he was going to give them all kinds of gadgets and we were going to get a James Bond slapstick Angry Birds thing. That is nothing at all like what we get. I do know the screenwriter ended up writing for the Americans, which is a spy show. And I think that was what he brought to this. It was like, let's make it a little bit more James Bond. Not enough for my liking. I, again, if you're going to 
<laughs> I feel like that's my entire note for this whole project. If you're going to go for something, go for it more. Don't do it halfway, because when it's halfway, you leave us all feeling confused. It's just not satisfying. Either you go full gusto or you scrap it. That confusion and that jumbledness shows on screen here, because I'm not even sure why Red decides that he's going to go off on his own plan and Silver's going to follow him while the rest of the team goes off in his bird suit. I think it's because at the end, the lesson that Red learns is that can't do anything by yourself and it's about teamwork. Fine. But on screen, it's just playing off as, oh, we got this bird suit and we can't have everybody in it. So we need Red and Silver to be off doing something else. Yeah. And again, you needed to set that up at the beginning. Like Red only works alone working the beaches, except the beginning told us that Bomb was there and Chuck was there and that it was an ensemble from the word jump. So it's just take five seconds Ask a few questions, clean it up. I feel like the skeleton is there to tell the story they want to in a way that would be satisfying for adults and kids. But ultimately, narratively speaking, this is only slightly better than what we got last time. I'd say it's worse than last time. Here's the thing. We're critiquing about not doing a story, but you had it exactly right earlier, Stuart. They're not about story. This story is the thin thread upon which the jokes hang. So... I found last week to be better in that regard because that was all about the war. It was the war of the birds versus the pigs and all of the intrigue there. It's a totally different movie. I mean, the fact that this is quote-unquote a sequel, the different creative forces make all the difference here. This has nothing in common with last week's other than the voice actors and the characters. And the real question is, are you laughing? Because that's all that matters, not taking five seconds to make the story more tight. You know what might be kind of funny? It might have made it more confusing is if the pigs and the birds, their truth started breaking down and you actually saw a pig that was maybe like, you do look delicious. And maybe they were reverting back to the behaviors of the first movie. It would make this feel like they were still the people from that first movie if we were seeing that during this heist. I agree completely. I was thinking of X-Men 2 specifically, where Magneto has to team up with the X-Men against Stryker, but then at the end, he's like, all right, the X-Men are weakened. I have my chance. I'm going to take over now. I thought for sure that at the end, King Leonard would attack the birds. Yeah, I think you want something like that to happen, because basically what happens is they confront Zeta, and she just stops. She claims at first that it wasn't about her heart being jilted and broken by Mighty Eagle, but then this daughter gets saved from falling shrapnel by Mighty Eagle, and that seems to turn it all around so that they can get married again. Like, that's kind of what transpires with a lot of inaity flurring around it. Yeah, there's a lot of feminist statements made here about women coming forward and women taking care of themselves. But in the end, I feel it's a step backwards that her heart was broken, so she became evil. And once the man accepts her again, she can be nice. Yeah, and that whole plot just kind of destroys the lore of the Mighty Eagle that they tried to set up in the first one. Because, like, in the first movie... Red was the only one who believed it was a real thing, you know? Like, there's a whole generation of birds who were like, oh, that's just a myth, it's a myth. But now this movie is like, oh, no, he used to have a girlfriend not that long ago, and they they hung out on the island together. 
they're not even following their own little lore that they've set up in this not very complicated world. You know what? I'll just go ahead and put my bias out there. I don't really like birds. Like in general, like in life, I don't enjoy seeing them or hearing them or anything about them wiping up the poop that they do on my car. None of it really is not attractive. And particularly raptors. Like I don't like Mighty Eagle. I don't want him in this story. I've never wanted him in this story. And the fact that we're being told that she is an eagle when she looks nothing like an eagle and this is all about them patching up their relationship. I pretty much hate that. My problem with Mighty Eagle is... I didn't think it was Peter Dinklage. The voice sounds so different this time. His normal tenor that I'm used to him using, it came in from time to time, but I thought they got a sound alike who once in a while could sound like Peter Dinklage and most of the time didn't. And I was shocked to hell to find out he was still credited in this movie. I agree. I did. I didn't think it was him because I knew Sean Penn hadn't come back. I figured other people were like, F this. But most of the people that did the voice last time, even Maya Rudolph came back to do like, I think one line, like she's barely in this, but she's here. What about the romance between the seal and the dog? I mean, that is just a one-off gag, but that seal's a recurring gag that just comes and steals the food. It is so random that it annoyed me at first, but it won me over by the end. I actually like the seal and Chihuahua bit. That's something you would expect to see on Ren and Stimpy. That's something adventure time of just like, there's a Chihuahua that's stuck in a frozen block of ice and the seal has come stealing its food. Mostly it's there to steal the dog food that can't be spoon-fed into the frozen dog's mouth. And at the same time we're going to find out by the end it's a love affair the dog gets free in the explosion you think they're finally going to be together it falls into the water and forms another block of ice around it it is a one of the more successful jokes in the movie so i applaud it yeah with some distance from the movie now yeah i can agree with that it it was probably something in the movie that is something to sink your teeth into but at the time i was just upset that it's breaking the rules of the world like in the first movie they were shocked to find out that birds weren't the only type of species. Like, they were flabbergasted that there's things called pigs. And now we're just throwing dogs and seals in and nobody's batting an <laughs> eye. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be Eagle Island. I don't know if it came down to the game and the game is like, there is an Eagle Island or we have to include, you know, Rovio could have said, you have to do these very specific things. And the writers and the film creators were stuck going, all right, we're working within these parameters, but why not just make a new species? You've already really changed the rules by putting pig and birds as allies. So why not have an entirely new thing that would have a new mechanics to fight? It would maybe make the games more exciting if you included a new kind of villain. I haven't played every game, but according to the Angry Birds Wiki, the only eagle is the Mighty Eagle. Yeah. I'm not in love with this eagle wedding, but I am glad that we're at the end. The hatchlings have gotten home, and they've been sort of a part of the change as well. They land on Piggy Island before they get to Bird Island, so they're part of the movement about bringing two sides together. I thought they'd have a subplot where the pigs tried to eat them. I mean, they were there with (laughs) eggs. I thought for sure we were finally going to get some pig evilness. Well, we think we're at the end, but first we have to listen to Red and the others recount what we just watched. And then we have to watch the hatchlings reenact what we just watched. So there's an extra five to ten minutes of runtime in there with them just rehashing the movie within the movie. And somebody carved a Mount Rushmore like version of it as well. Like, here's the commemorative mountain to celebrate uh, the victory here. And so, it, you know, it's a good message for now. Let's not be too cynical in today's divisive world. The idea of bringing disparate people together and having a commonality is a wonderful message to put out there, but it doesn't sound like a very good game. I'm not sure how you're going to play a game if nobody is throwing anything at anybody else. Well, 
as we get to the end, I just want to say this movie has accomplished a feat. For birds that have no wings, it has flown higher than any other video game movie ever. It has the highest Rotten Tomatoes average of any video game adaptation. So for our entire video game retrospective, this is the pinnacle according <laughs> to the world at large. But is it of us? <laughs> Justin, Stuart, do you recommend Angry Birds? Justin. I mean, I think it's obvious. No, I don't. I mean, this whole review, we've all just kind of been bagging on it. But I have to say, I went in with a positive attitude. I really was hoping after not wanting to see the first movie because it ended up being exactly what I thought it was going to be, which was just kind of well done, colorful pap aimed at the younger set. I was kind of hoping that maybe Rovio and Sony said, okay, look, that first movie took off more than we had hoped. Let's take that and do something more with it. But instead, they just did the same thing. And I felt like they gave about the same amount of effort into it. They're like, oh, it made money. Let's just do it again. So at the end of the day, what it ends up being is probably the prettiest piece of crap I've ever seen. Quap. <laughs> you mean quap. Quap. The most polished quap I've ever seen. I mean, it's got to be up there, maybe even surpassing Pixar in animation quality in places. I mean, there's scenes where the birds are in the snow and they're wearing like these jackets that have like a certain sheen to them and like contrasted with their feathers and the fur on their collars like it's a lot of processing power going on on screen and i feel like that's where they left it they didn't really care about the script they didn't care about the jokes they don't care about telling a story at the end of the day i think they're still just cashing in on those parents who might have walked through the room while their seven-year-olds are watching this on home video and thought oh well let's take them to the theater this weekend and they don't seem to have anything new to say and it's making it hard for me to have anything new to say about it. So I want to hop off of this rotten egg and just call it a day. So yeah, this is a big not recommend for me. Stuart. Yeah, I mean, I am who I am. I, I can't fake this. I can't pretend that I'd want this if it were good. You know, and that's the honest truth is that I wouldn't want this movie. I wouldn't recommend it because I don't want to have this experience. I don't want to watch Minions, much less some crappy ripoff version of Minions, which is where they're very comfortable living. Anytime they start to think about having their own identity or their own story, they're like, no, no, let's just be cute and be silly and do a lot of random gags. And that is just the antithesis of what I want in entertainment. Always. They had elements that they dangled here for me. I do like heist movies. And if they had tried harder to make that break in to stop the device more fun, more clever. We've, we've seen that work in animated films, Teen Titans. I could have done it. I could have applauded that sensibility and found a way to like this. But the truth of the matter is people are going to giggle. I heard them. They enjoyed it. I did too. If that is enough for you, I suppose it's a recommend if you just want to giggle. But what they have not done and what they need to do in order to earn a green arrow is to make red, silver, or any of these angry birds into heroes or role models. They pay lip service to it, but I don't believe anybody walking away from the theater has any strong emotional tether to them as characters. They giggled. They didn't care. And so until I care, it's a red arrow. And I found myself really detached from this movie. Sometimes the jokes made me laugh, and I had said on last week's show, I laughed at the Plan X, I thought you said spandex, and seeing the pig in the pink spandex and all of that, I said if they could keep that 
funny, I'd recommend the movie. Well, they kept that funny. The whole thing is all this randomness to a bunch of eagles doing a dance routine to Axel F to playing Right Said Fred during the spandex bit. I see they're winning you over with the musical choices. (laughs) Well, it's like they broke into my house to get the musical choices. They lose on that Kesha song. I gotta say, that's actionable how much it sounds like everything is awesome. (laughs) But they also had a little bit of modern music in here. I kind of liked when the bird suit got in and it started a dance off to Pitbull's fireball. (laughs) But I agree with you, Stuart. I find myself laughing, but frustrated. It's like being tickled. You know, that's one of the jokes that goes on in this movie is Chuck and Silver will have tickle fights. Here's the thing about being tickled. You're laughing, but it's also not fun because you have no control and you're spasming. And some people even claim tickles hurt, but yet they're still laughing because that's the reaction. That's me in this movie. It's hurting me and I'm laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Tickle torture. (laughs) Yeah. But the big thing is with Minions... I like watching the minions on screen, and then when I go to the toy aisle to buy my Star Wars toys, I play with the minions' toys. And if it's a funny thing, like with the Pokemon movie, I have a talking Pikachu now in my living room, not life-size. Well, it actually is life-size because it's Pikachu small. But nothing here made me want to play the games more. The games were fun. I enjoyed going back and playing them again, but I'm done. I played them all the first time, you know? And the game mechanics haven't really changed. I Don't find anything here saleable. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel like it's marketable. I feel it's at best diversionary. Basically, let me do a a now playing confession. I took acid once in college. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) It was a crazy night full of insanity. Yeah, I gotta say, it was a wild time, but I don't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was a wild time, but I couldn't get out of it fast enough. I got a red arrow, this bird. Yeah, and I feel like to be satisfied with it is just to like it as a series of memes or something. You know what I mean? It's just, in my mind, nonsense. What I would categorize as just not the stuff of a movie is what it's a sum total of. And so you just have to, if you enjoyed 90 minutes of, yeah, web surfing and looking at memes, I think that you're the better audience than someone looking for a story. I will say, though. The best thing about this movie is, I again, I went to that theater that nobody goes to, and when getting my ticket, I noticed a giant stack of Avengers I Love You 3000 posters from the re-release. So after the movie, I go up to the guy, I'm like, can I take one of those? Take as many as you like. That almost got this movie a recommend. I got a big stack of posters. Nice. How many do you need? <laughs> one for me, because I wasn't able to get one at my show. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I got one coming your way. A bright light at the end of the Angry Birds Tunnel. Well, we're going to take a breather from the video game retrospective. There's nothing immediate on the horizon coming in theaters. There is something coming for home viewing. And by the end of this year, we are going to cover it. We're not going to cover it the week it comes out because, again, it's just streaming. But they've made a sequel to Doom. Doom Annihilation, it's called. It's not coming to theaters now? No. Sometime in early October, it will be available for you to watch. I think it looked, from the trailer, like a remake of Deep Blue Sea 2. 
<laughs> because that's the one to remake. <laughs> and uh, we might throw another one in there. I, I think the next one on the docket, we've been going in order of the games coming out, is another animated kids film. Something called Ratchet and Clank, which I don't know what that is. That's 90s da-da-da right there for you, Stuart. Great. I feel like it's been my year for that. Just give me some more. All I know is I'm dreading Sonic, which was supposed to come out this year, and now is not. That's the one that is the next Angry Birds for me. You know what? That's almost coming around. Like, it's so horrible, I might actually (laughs) really like it. <laughs> we'll see if if they can really go with being as awful as it is. Then uh, there might be a perverse joy in seeing people just humiliated. Really, but there are good movies on the way. This Friday we're covering summer of nineteen eighty nine hits, and we've reached Parenthood, Ron Howard's best film. It's arguable from Angry Bird to Parenthood. And of course, we've been hearing nothing but get back to Stephen King. I think we're finally getting back to the Stephen King people most wanted. We, next Tuesday, will get to the Tim Curry TV version of It. And then, of course, the new two-parter It Chronicle as we lead to theaters with Chapter 2. So thank you for listening. I hope you made it through this podcast easier than I made it through this movie. (laughs) Yes. And don't go to New Orleans on Christmas alone. Do not go to the Christmas show on foot because you'll just be walking through five miles of cars. Now Playing is not brought to you by nor affiliated with the New Orleans Board of Tourism. (laughs) Who does want you to visit them at Christmas? And you know what? The decorations wouldn't have been that good if I were in a car, but they were extra bad walking five miles. Uh, So, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, bird to your mother. Crimson Woody Ash. Who? You learned your lessons well. You're my prized pupils. You're prized what? (laughs) Oh, don't you see? I had to make you lose faith in me so you could learn to have faith in yourself. That's really not how it felt. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Think about it. That was beautiful. You're going to make me cry. Yeah, that was some real... (laughs) clever symbolism come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast there's more i'm going back in also at our site you can find hundreds of other movie reviews including star wars a nightmare on elm street independence day the avengers films back to the future batman superman the fast and the furious and more oh so many good movies which one should i pick Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. (laughs) Working with what we got. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. One of each, please. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Come on, give them a hand. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. 
plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. And if I'm being honest, well, I mean, you know, I could kind of use your help. What's that? What are you trying to say? Uh, nothing. I'm just saying that I can you know, use your help. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Do you just do like a little pop-in? Now Playing Podcast is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. So he's kind of a wackadoodle. You know, that doesn't mean he's not wise. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I have to get a team together. Now Playing Credits, read by Brock. Just say what you gotta say and then get out! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Give me one good reason why I should believe you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Well, that's disappointing. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I just don't think this is going to work. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I guess birds and pigs will always be enemies. Travel tip, New Orleans is for families at Christmas time. Say that again. New Orleans is for families at Christmas time. There was no debauch. Say that again. New Orleans is family at Christmas time. <laughs> New Orleans is for family. <laughs> I know, this is just going to break me. New Orleans, are, New Orleans is only for families at Christmas time. There is none of that debauchery going on. It has an entirely different flair. And... It has an entirely different flair, and out of desperate, is he still bar? I now feel like I'm hearing him, like I, Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe style. Like he might not even be barking, but every time I talk, I feel like I, 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 I'm like, oh, I just have to keep repeating and repeating and repeating. He's barking. Why is he barking? I think because I have raised voice. Let me go uh, play the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the steam out of your story, man. Yeah. <laughs> I just love New Orleans' family. Yeah. <laughs> new, 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 new Orleans. I mean, I'm just going to turn into a stammering idiot by the end of this because of this dog. <laughs> and since you're the father of the three of us, since you are the only one of us who is a father, you're not my father. <laughs> Red, Bomb, Chuck, and Leonard recruit Chuck's super smart sister, Silver. I got that on the first try without realizing I did such a tongue twister. Mm -hmm. A lot of S's there. <laughs> The reason why Red decides... <clears throat> Damn, sorry, guys. Take a drink of water real quick. <clears throat> so much water came near the mic there, I thought the birds just <laughs> splashed you. Sorry. In a bird bath. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do some ASMR later, so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> the Pokemon movie. I have a talking Pikachu now in my living room. Not life-size. Well, it actually is life-size because it's Pikachu small. 
Why don't I know about this? You d- you do. You've seen it talk. I have? <laughs> yes, it talked like Ryan Reynolds, and then we flipped the switch, and it went, Pika, Pika. I was there for that? <laughs> yeah, it was on our kitchen counter. You walk past, you go, oh, Pikachu. When did this happen? The week after Detective Pikachu. Do you remember this year? Mm. <laughs> In fits and starts. How many drugs have you done <laughs> to get through Angry Birds? <laughs> Pokemon feels a long time ago. Bye.